I guess this is, a, this is our first emergency pod. <laughs> Love it. So did you, like, what all did you get to watch today? Did you watch everything? Uh, no, so I didn't see, well, so I watched the fourth quarter of the Bucks game <laughs> on my on my phone at work, uh, which we hopefully won't post uh, in this pod. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and then I watched only, like, the end of the Miami game. And then I watched the entire Rockets game and the entire Lakers game. And yesterday I watched, like, the entire Nuggets game and then the entire, whichever game was last. I missed, like, the two middle ones yesterday. Yeah, I was supposed to say, I don't even remember what I watched yesterday. Like, I got the box scores pulled up. Let me oh, yeah. kind of like this. Kind of like I was telling you, I, like, completely skipped the Brooklyn game. And then I only turned on Milwaukee because they were down in the fourth <laughs> quarter. Yeah, so I watched the beginning of that game. And I guess I'll just go ahead and jump into this one with a little analysis. Um, so at first, I don't know. I tweeted this out, too. I've been tweeting basically every thought I have throughout all these games. But um, I don't know if it was, like, by design. Orlando's like, all right, our only chance is to add some randomness, add some variance, let's just let it fly from three. Or if it's just designed because Milwaukee lets bad shooters shoot. But they just – I mean, Orlando, it seemed like they shot, like, threes on their first, like, seven or eight possessions and i think they only ended up shooting around like 40 or so for the game which isn't too crazy amount but i i bet that's more than what they usually shoot and i know one of like i mean i didn't think it ended up meaning meaning anything but i think we talked about how like vooch could actually cause some problems for them since he's like a above the break three-point shooter and that's kind of like what milwaukee gives up or is weak to however you want to look at it and I mean, he went five of eight from three. He kind of torched them. So, I don't know. Are you worried, or do you have any thoughts, or what's up? For the uh, yeah, so I mean, I didn't get a great chance to catch much of this game. I did watch the fourth quarter on my phone, but I would say, without knowing too much, I would not be worried. If I was the Bucks. Uh, the only thing I saw Giannis uh, in the last ten minutes was like. 0 for 5 with two turnovers, maybe until like a dunk when it was out of range. And so that's just something that is kind of like in the back of my mind as I've watched them in crunch time earlier this year. And um, also remembering a little bit back to last year that Giannis, like I think I've said it before, he's like either the best player, 1A, 1B, 1C uh, for the first like 45, 46 minutes. But I don't know, like when things get real tight and defenses are set and you have like overhelp waiting he's not like he's probably not even like my top five options to go to late and i know it didn't actually get down to crunch time because orlando ended up extending the lead to like 14 i think even in the last three minutes but i don't know i just like i mean i guess i would be like five percent concerned i still think they're gonna crush this series um i think i said sweep and i had no doubt about it on the pod the other day, but now I think now I'll just double down and say that they're going to win it in five. But I don't know. Just pulling up some stats, I see that they that the Magic made 15 mid-rangers and they shot like 55%, which is probably not going to last. Um, I was surprised to see Vooch go off. Like Brooke Lopez or Giannis even, I would imagine, could guard him. So maybe... Maybe you can tell me how he managed to go off, but they they shot like seventy percent at the rim, which is unlike Bucks opponents. But they did only get there nineteen times, so that is right up uh, Milwaukee's lane to not to kind of barricade the paint. But 
I don't know. I wouldn't be too interested. Maybe I'll have to watch game two now since I kind of wrote off this series before it even started, but not concern level is not overly high for this one. Yeah. The, like one thought I had too, though, at the beginning, um, Orlando's obviously banged up. Like Gordon and Isaac aren't out there, but they still put out a lineup that's respectable at stopping, not stopping, but just like limiting what the Bucks do. Like they had, Gary Clark and James Ennis in place of them too, which obviously aren't uh, Gordon and Isaac on either end, but those are still serviceable defenders, still length. And then your one and your two are Markel Fultz and Evan Fournier, who are 6'4 and like 6'7. Then Vooch is kind of like a smart defender. So they actually have a pretty respectable lineup and I like a great defensive coach in Steve Clifford and like to attempt to stop him. So like that's kind of the way I'm looking at it as the Magic, or just like just looking at it from afar, like the Magic have a chance at at least like playing solid defense, and like you read out the stats on how well they shot in certain areas. If they have hot shooting, I guess it's not the craziest thing for them to pull off one or two. Um, but I think we are seeing some of like the Bucks like concerns like come to fruition here, where it's like okay, they're. In crunch time, they don't really have an offense they can go to. It'd be nice if they had a Malcolm Brogdon laying around. Um, they don't yeah. really – they no. don't have um, – um, what was it? Oh, yeah, just like giving up all these threes has like hurt them before. Um, like the Rockets beat them playing like that and the Magic team can't even really shoot like that. They got hot. Like, I mean – Gary Clark. Who knew? Yeah. I've always been a fan of him. Your uh, boy. Yeah, his shot, his form actually looked pretty decent on him. Like, I mean, his form never looked that clean in Houston, and it was always he was another casualty of the the luxury tax avoidance. Like, he's a young, promising wing. Actually, not even that young, but still young in terms of Rockets players and young in the league. But he didn't make it past the luxury tax cut. Yeah, he got up 12 threes today, which is a pretty huge number. Like, he started kind of out of nowhere. I is, Was he even in the normal rotation? Uh, he, yeah, he was, after he got cut to, like, right before his guarantee date this year, the Magic picked him up, which I think that was a fail by a lot of young organizations who, to not claim him off waivers. Like, why would you not take a flyer on, like, a 6'8 wing who's yeah. trying to learn how to shoot but can play defense? Like, and like I said, I know he's not, like, 21, 22. I think he's, like, 25, but... I don't get why you don't take that flyer. Like looking at like the Cavs, Hawks, and some other teams that just had no sort of help on the wing. But yeah, they picked him up on the ten day. Then I think he re-upped his ten day. Then like signed for the rest of the year. And uh, I think he has filled in a few times. It was just all the magic injuries. But yeah, it was really random just seeing him start a playoff game. Right. I mean, yeah. So I just pulled it up briefly. Like he had. He's only played, I think, over 10 minutes, at least in, like, in the last 15, as soon as like Gordon and Isaac got hurt. So, but then he was playing decent minutes on the stretch of the bubble. But, I mean, like Fournier had, I think he was like 0 for 6 with three turnovers, like midway through the fourth quarter. He hadn't made a shot yet. And, and yeah, Isaac and Gordon are out. So, like, it is really, really shocking that the Bucks actually lost this game. Now I might actually, actually go back and watch maybe the condensed version or something. But... Like I don't know, I thought it was a slam dunk sweep. They they should easily they should be able to handle Orlando's like B squad basically. I mean DJ Augustine was carving them up with uh, playmaking wise. I think he had 11 assists. I would hope for the Bucks' sake that it's just like a one game aberration, but it's, it's got to be pretty jarring for them. Yeah, real quick, 
We've already probably spent too much time on this. Yeah. Well, I guess not really. Number one seed losing a game you did not expect. That deserves some talking about. True. Uh, but Orlando won the first game last year, too, and uh, yeah. kind of fizzled out uh, against the Raptors. Um, two things I'll add. Uh, Gary Clark, he went 4 of 12 from three, and that was also what he went from the field. He didn't attempt a single two. Oh. <laughs> and what, the uh, the point you made about DJ Augustine carving them up, you know, like this, I didn't watch the game too close. I only watched kind of like the first half and like uh, spottingly at the end. But that's just kind of just has me thinking. Like, I feel like probably the Bucks are just too reliant on their scheme and they're kind of like protecting the rim just to protect the rim. Like, they overprotecting the rim for no reason. Like, I mean, who's going to kill you at the rim for the magic? I mean, Markel Fultz is right. athletic, but I don't even think statistically he's a good finisher at the rim uh, when he's not in transition. So, I mean, it seems like they're just kind of like packing the paint just to do it. Like, uh, I believe it was Danny LaRue on Dunk Don was talking about how when they played Houston that, like, they were just conceding the three to concede the three. Like, they didn't have to, like, send Brooke Lopez off the strong side corner. Like, he was in positions where he could have still – or I think it was, like, the non um, – I don't remember exactly how they broke it down, but it's just something like that. It's just, like, they're helping off a guy literally when they don't even have to. Like, they could just play a little bit better on-ball defense and, like, still – protect the paint and stay on shooters like they don't have to pack the paint that hard right. i don't think almost like it's just ingrained inside of them like like no layups at all costs like absolutely keep them out when really you're saying that there should be maybe a little bit of variety involved in their schemes if if uh team matchup specific and team specific because yeah. like you said on the magic i mean i don't know anyone who's gonna kill you get into the get into the hole yeah it faults faults if anybody but even him yeah. All right. Do you want to move on to the other number one seed? Yeah. And first of all, I'm just really kicking myself because I was trying to tell anybody who would listen to me, uh, whether it be my friends or you or even my wife, I was telling uh, Portland, if they get in, they're going to be serious, cause serious problems for Lakers. But of course, I chickened out. I didn't want to be picking eight seed over a one seed because you just look like an idiot uh, if, if you're wrong. But uh I mean, scared money don't make money, right? You gotta, you gotta actually just go for it. And tonight, I mean, proved my point that I was trying to make, or that I almost made, or whatever you want to say. Because the Lakers just look terrible again. They can't shoot. Uh, I think everybody's gonna say it. it's just like an aberration. I think they're like five for thirty-two from three, and that won't keep up. But they're the worst shooting team uh, in the bubble. Like twenty-two out of twenty-two. They're they were at thirty percent uh, during the eight-game restart. And then whatever five for thirty-two is uh, tonight, I know it's not good. Is that I don't even know, like seventeen percent or something terrible. And I don't know. They also didn't look like AD didn't look good to me. I tweeted about that. I just thought like he had a he put up a bunch of stats, but he was missing a lot of layups. His jumper looked terrible, just like everyone in the Lakers' jumper looked terrible. And and they even seemed to corral Dean for a while. I think they said he made his first shot in the second half with like four minutes to go in the fourth. And I don't know, it just wasn't enough. Like, it almost felt like, I couldn't tell if it felt like a 4-5 or five game or if it just felt like straight up the Blazers, like, were the better team. I mean, I'm not saying they are, but, like, that's the way the game one kind of flowed. Like, they were, they led almost the entire game. It took, like, a 11-0 run by the Lakers to take the lead in maybe the middle, middle of the fourth. But mostly I'm just kicking myself because this Laker team looks ugly to me and the uh, storybook 
uh, movie script continues for the Blazers. I know it's just one game, but how concerned are you? Oh, I'm very concerned. And I'll give you your credit. When we talked about it last pod, like I kind of, I wasn't like at the bottom of like opinion wise when it comes to the Blazers. I was like, yeah, there's a chance they might pull off maybe even six, take it to six or something. Like I had a little bit of faith in them to win a game or two, but then you started going through it and you convinced me into it a little bit more. And I mean, we could just saw it like, and we, we both voiced a lot of like the same concerns too. I just kind of, I, it was like, oh, they're the Lakers, it's LeBron, right. they'll, they'll be fine. Kind of yeah, thing. but then, I don't know, I mean, LeBron, he actually looked pretty spry and, like, athletic. Like, he had a few good. he had a few finishes, like, uh, especially in the first half, like, where he got up over Whiteside and, like, when, like, Whiteside was able to, like, jump into it and he like, actually looked like he had some straight line drive speed, which I haven't really, I feel like I haven't seen from LeBron in a while, which actually could be a new development when it comes to their crunch time offense like is that something they've really struggled with as well and if part of it was because lebron just didn't really have the ability to beat people, the dri- beat people off the dribble anymore but if he can do that again maybe that could help but i mean there's just every other aspect i think every other thing we were scared about it was i mean it was bad like you read off the stats about how bad they were shooting like what's going to change for that maybe danny green shoots a little bit better or Kuzma shoots a little bit better i don't even no, the box score. I know Twitter was killing Danny Green. I think uh, KCP I ca- was terrible. I think oh, KCP okay. was like 0 for 8 or 0 for 9 uh, from the floor. Yeah, I caught the beginning and the end of this game, so I didn't. I don't know all the details, but they also saw- missed a. Ele- they also missed 11 free throws. They shot 64 percent from the line. Uh, Davis missed uh, two, and then LeBron missed two in like a 30 second span. So they missed four straight free throws. Their two best players when it was like a two point game. <laughs> Oh, I was heavily advocating for the times I did watch them to pull a hack of LeBron. Are you serious about that? You might need to explain that one to me. <laughs> well, apparently his fourth quarter... He is quarter, like 69%, 70%. Well, apparently his fourth quarter, she was like 65. Um, and that was like a real problem this year. And like right after I said it one time, he did go over for 2 uh, yeah. after. But I guess my mindset on it was just expecting like Portland to not really be able to hang. Like I just thought they would have no chance at guarding LeBron. And I thought, like, uh, yeah, sure, they might score a little. But like I said earlier, just I thought they would, the Lakers would just power through all the potential issues we saw. And the Lake, and maybe the Blazers would have to get a little creative. But the heck, the heck of joy. Like, the most serious I was about it was when there was, like, six minutes left in the fourth. The Blazers actually were down a couple, and they committed, like, three fouls in a row. So they were already pretty close to the penalty. And Dwight Howard was on the court. Then I would have seriously considered it, but they went on like a 7-0 run right after. So what do I know? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if you shoot 70% or even 65, I mean, that's like 1.3 points for possession, which would be the best in the league. I mean, maybe part of it is just like getting in his head. Like maybe he would just be like so offended that you followed him like with 23 on the shot clock in the backcourt. Um, but then also... I don't know, you're just giving them free points. I mean, I guess I don't love it. Maybe just like a wrinkle to, to throw in, but their their um their points for hundred possessions was ninety one point two for the Lakers, which would be the worst in the league by a landslide. I mean it's just one game, obviously. But yeah, they shot 38 E field goal percentage, the zeroth percentile. <laughs> like I mean, yeah, it was just like a brick, 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 brick. It was it was so bad. I think I mean, I don't think it's like it'll be a wake-up call and they'll come out 
fire next game. But yeah, like like you said, what's going to change? I guess you just need your role players to hit shots. I mean, that's like the biggest thing. And Davis, I thought Davis was terrible. I don't know if you, um, what you thought about him or not. Um, I know he didn't shoot well. I can't really say. I saw him shoot a few too many long twos, which I just don't get why he shoots those. Like early in the shot clock too. I know the Lakers struggle to create offense, but that's. I mean, you can get that at any point in the shot clock. I hate how he shoots those long twos. Yeah, and actually, this was something you've been saying. Uh, you said a couple times uh, throughout our pods that he's more of like a play finisher. And I don't know. I really s- agreed with that tonight. Because, like, they would give it to him maybe even with, like, 14 on the shot clock from, like, mid-post. And, like, he kind of just, like, slows it down. He doesn't really aggressively create an advantage. And... And, I don't know, he kind of just, like, screeches the offense to a halt. And then I thought he'd be able to beat everybody with his quickness, and I think he can, but, I don't know, he was not effective there tonight. And he, he did get to the line a bunch. I think he shot, like, 17 free throws. But a lot of that was just, like, because he's too athletic and too big. Like, they were on, like, cuts or rebounds or maybe a couple were on drives, but they weren't all just, like, abusing post-defenders. So, I don't know. He has me concerned from his game. Yeah, I didn't realize he was 8 of 24 from the field. Like, Yeah, he's bad. I mean, they all were. <laughs> yeah, but that's always been my theory behind um, just the Lakers' offense. When people talk about, oh, like, AD's, like, if AD's your second-best player, like, on offense, I mean, I just don't see how you can have that great of an offense. And like it helps when LeBron's out there that they're like the perfect pick and roll pairing and all that, but just the supporting pieces aren't really there. And in the Le- the non-LeBron minutes, like AD is not going to be capable of generating like a leading like a efficient offense all on his own. That's just kind of it's not well, what he does. I mean, to be fair, if they had any guard play, like most most guards, like even if he's your starting point guard. Um, or six man, but if you, like even if you sat LeBron, like most starting point guards can actually dribble and like make a play on like all of the Lakers guards. So I don't know. I think I think he could easily be the second best player on a good offense. And I mean, they probably were this year, right? I mean, he averaged like twenty six um, a game. I mean, maybe he's never done it on the highest level. So maybe what we're gonna see we're gonna see yeah. come to. Uh, I'm just looking at the, like, minutes where the first star is, like, not on the court. That's kind of what I'm referencing. Like, when it's, like, his time to run the offense, like, I just don't think that portion he's going to be able to produce, like, high-end efficiency. Like, Yeah, weren't they weren't they pretty close to even uh, on his time on the court or maybe, maybe a, a little bit better uh, with LeBron off? But then with LeBron on and Davis off, they were, like, way, like, positive, like 10 throughout the year or something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I know tonight Davis was a minus 20. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I may have tweeted about that also. <laughs> it was ugly. Uh, so, so don't hold yourself to a previous prediction. Like, Obviously, you're not going to change it, but if you had to just tell uh, your buddy on the street right now, he just asked you for the first time, who do you think is going to win, Lakers or Blazers? What would you tell him? I still got to go Lakers. Um I mean, I guess I can six Lakers and six. I think, but so they're gonna they're gonna rattle off four one from here on out. Oh, and you put it like that. You know, <laughs> we we're doing the Blazers dirty though. We haven't given them any credit. We've only talked about uh, really how bad the Lakers have looked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, what is there to say about Dame at this point? Like, all he does is he scores thirty five a game and he makes like six threes a night. Like, 
I don't, I mean, what, and he pulls from 30 feet. Like he had two more in the fourth quarter that were just ridiculous that no one else would shoot. Maybe well, Curry. And the gravity he created because that was insane. Like this is one thing I tweeted out too. It was, it was after the one where he pulled up from um, 35 to 40 feet where he just got the screen like a few steps inside half court and his man chased him around the screen. So he did the classic uh, step into a pull up uh, to where his man, like the man chasing you is either going to foul you from behind or, I mean, or you just get basically a free shot. And AD was one step above the three-point line in his drop coverage, and he's obviously like very long and athletic, still got a decent contest. Dame knocks yeah. down that like super long three. But then the possession after that, he's got so much gravity. And it's like when Le- it was when LeBron, I think, got ISOed on him or got switched on him. Dame calls for a little ISO. He walks over to the middle slightly. And um, the help comes over from the middle. And then the guy who's guarding the opposite wing slides over cl- pretty close to the middle as well. And I think it's just one pass to the middle and then one pass to Melo. And Melo's able to get off a slightly contested three, but still pretty open. And LeBron was kind of like jumping around. Doing the classic, like, who am I going to blame for this three? <laughs> and, I mean, it's just Dame had so much gravity at 35 feet that it's, it was that easy to create an open three. Like, I didn't I didn't really see anyone to blame for that shot. Like, they still got to contest on Melo's three. But, I mean, he just had the whole defense being basically pulled towards him, like, at 35 feet away from the basket, which, I mean, that's insane. Yeah, for me, I wouldn't do... I, I mean, there's there's no right answer, but I I can't run two guys at him because I mean Gary Trent I think he struggled in this game, but he him and Melo hit the two threes late, and I mean there are NBA professionals like an open corner three or maybe even like a wing three, I just can't live with that. I <laughs> I mean, what would you do? Would you would you send two at him? I just think that that's gonna be a layup or an open three. Whereas Dame, I mean. I mean, how long can you shoot, like, 45% from 30 feet? I mean, he's done it this entire season. But yeah, it's, just, it's just two seasons worth now of a sample size. Was it last year he was shooting uh, he a lot of He wasn't quite that good last year. Oh, he was shooting the deep ones, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it was to this, like, I think he's, like, almost, like, 40, like, legitimately 40% from, like, 30 plus. With, I remember that was, like, kind of the talk around him this year is, like, or coming into the year. It's, like, if he ever has one of those years where instead of shooting, like, 36, 37% from three, he shoots like 39 or 40. Like he's up there with like the best, like probably like top five player in the league type conversation. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we can talk about, the, I don't understand what else to say besides Dame is just killed. I will say he continues to get foul, just fouls if anyone's near him. Uh, did you see? Yeah. yeah. Two more three shot. So three shot free throws, following a jump shooter. Like, can you explain this to me? Because, I watch basketball like way too much for a normal person, and I've been watching basketball for years, and I, I just don't I don't understand it. Like I played very 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 low level basketball, but I would just never dream of following a jump shooter. And three shots, uh, Harden got joined today too. Three free throws. Obviously, it's not rocket science that like eighty five percent is worth like two point five, two point six points. And that's literally worse than a dunk. A dunk at like ninety nine percent is only gonna give you two points. So I just literally cannot understand why like do they think they're actually gonna block the shots? Like explain to me how jump shooters continue to get fouled. Well, in the NBA, I mean the game moves so fast and like the players are so smart. Like the thing I was just talking about Dane, like if you chase him around a screen, you either have to just give up on the play or like jump backwards and like maybe try and like just tip the ball with like a good rear view contest because 
if you follow him just in the same like path he's running, he's going to, on the dime, stop when he catches it and go straight up into a shot. So you run up behind him. Like that one's, I mean, that's very tough to defend. And yeah, it, the, I will say when, when you're trailing a when you're trailing like a curl screen or something, I will give you that for sure. Yeah. But but if it's like such a thing, which it is now, like like maybe you watch film and you say you have to go around the side of them, or like I don't know, maybe you think of something else than just handing a team two two point five points on these and plays. One thing I'll say about the Harden one is um, where he gets defenders, it's coming off a step back, so you you get your your momentum goes back. Then you go forward, try and contest. So he gets you to lunge into him. But in general, yeah, that's, just like that's been his patented shot. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, like, you like, got, how do you, you not learn know it, that? Yeah. How do you not know that at this point? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's tough, and some guys just that's just how they're built. They just can't fight the urge, like like you gotta uh, go, gotta like, go contest. Yeah, you look at like the big men like Whiteside and Nerlens Noel, like they or and like Mitchell Robinson, like they're they can't pass down a chance to maybe get a block. Like, I guess there's perimeter players who are kind of wired like that too. Yeah, I think I think actually I saw somebody tweet out that the league leader in like blocks per thirty six on three pointers is like is like I think it's Thibault and it's like point point eight per thirty six. So like the very best guy in the league will block like one per game yet. I don't know. The risk reward for me is not there, but that was a brief tangent. I just can't stand when you follow a jump shooter. It just absolutely kills me. Yeah, I'm sure it drives the coaches crazy too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's tough. Like, because I know the Blazers used to be uh, their offense used to revolve around flare screens. Like, it used to be like someone else handling the ball up top, and CJ McCollum and Dame would flare instead of curling and they kind of just like run actions like that. I mean, they haven't been doing that for a while. I think they kind of gave up on that like two or three years ago, but it's, I mean, they just said there's so many counters to it too. Like if you go around it, that's probably what they're going to do. They're going to flare and Dame. I mean, he's just going to back up. Probably he's going to flare out a little and take two steps back, catch it at 35 feet and let it fly. I mean, he's, it's, I mean, it's crazy. Like how, deep his ranges and how he's doing it like off tough shots too like we were just talking about he's coming off the dribble off the pick and roll and sprinting off screens and just creating one step of space and yeah man right i mean if, you, if you're getting up 14 13 14 threes a game when everyone on the court knows like that's what you're hunting at all moments like you know he's doing something special because there's no secret about it and he's you're just doing it over and over and over and over. Uh, the one, the one play that I actually thought had a chance to like change the rest of the game. Did you see when there was um, like a scrum? I think Nurkic maybe got stripped. The ball is on the floor. Like three guys were diving for it, and then just like popped up, and somehow Blazer got it, kicked it to Dame from thirty, and he just hit it. And then I think that brought it back to three. When the Lakers had gone, they run. They're up six. Like I don't know. That was just one crucial play that. I think brought Portland back and maybe made them believe again because they kind of, they kind of were looked like the their exhaustion was catching up and like the Lakers had all this momentum. Although without fans, there's a little less momentum, but you could kind of feel like it was slipping away. But Dame, Dame doesn't let these games slip away. He's what are they eight and two now in the bubble slash restart? And I think before I said that there was only two games that didn't come to the come down to the wire, but I think I saw today that nine of their ten games now have been within two points in the last like ninety seconds or something like that. 
just incredible. They're probably undefeated since the Instagram beef. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, they are. <laughs> um, yeah, one thing too, like people who were so high on the Blazers um, in the like before the bubble, like I just felt like it was unreasonable, and I still think their analysis was unreasonable. Like when the people would say, "Oh, they're getting Collins and Nurkic, Nurkic back," like they're just gonna be that much better. It's like Nurkic hasn't played in 15 months. It's I don't care like how he looks when he actually gets back. It is 100% unreasonable to think that he's going to be what he was. But, I mean, I think he's been better. Like, I, I guess he picked up the skill, like, while he was rehabbing for so long. But I think the first points of the games was were, was uh, him hitting a three. And I didn't know he ever shot three. So I looked at his, like, stats and, like, all of his ba- his basketball reference, like, every year is, like, .01 attempts per game or, is, like, actually zero. And it looks like in the bubble he's been, like, averaging, like, one to, like, like somewhere between like one and two th- attempts a night, and yeah, I was just so surprised to see him shoot a three to start the game off, but it went in, and then like he ended up shooting another one, but like the release looked pretty clean, but it didn't go in. But also, his like uh, his secondary like playmaking like out of the short roll too, like that's bit less looked great. Plays really hard. Um, finishing, if I mean off the top of my head, I remember him missing what I feel like could have been a few easy ones, but that could be Russ. But, I mean, I feel like it's not crazy to think he's, like, approaching, not, like, in the top-tier center um, conversation, but he's probably, like, he could be leading the pack in, like, the next group of centers, like, outside of, like, your Embiid's, Cat, um, Jokic, Gobert, and Bam. Like, you probably, probably, he's, like, probably pushing to be around Bam's level. <laughs> Maybe he's better. I don't know. I mean, but... Out those main four, like definitely, he's not touching that yet. But I think he's approaching it. You say it's unreasonable, but that's like exactly how it's played out. It's just, it's <laughs> just been, it's just literally been a movie. Yeah, exactly. For, but I, like I the amount of things that had to go process. right. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, the amount of things that have that had to go right for them. I mean, Memphis <laughs> losing Jaron Jackson. I think that they get at least one more game without it. Then they have to beat him twice. Um, like nine nine close games uh, down to the last two minutes. You usually don't win seven of those like they did. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's just been it's been a fairy tale story for them. I mean maybe they would have beat Memphis twice anyway just because they can't lose. Uh, yeah, I mean look out Clippers. They they probably shouldn't be cheering for the Blazers since they're just looking like this team uh, team of destiny. Yeah, the Clippers now, even though it didn't work out, but regretting their decision to try and let the Blazers win just to make it hard on the Lakers. Like, are the Blazers <laughs> actually the better team? Yeah, that's funny. Probably not. Although I think their team account tweeted like these eyes when, uh, like, just eye emojis when <laughs> when Portland was making a run or something. Um, so, what's your updated prediction then? <sighs> I. I don't know. See, my biggest concern was LeBron, and LeBron, I thought, while he didn't have his like jumper going, but he, I thought he was like really, really good. I mean, his passing is always going to be there. Like even, I mean, when he's forty-five, he could probably find tight windows and like make great passes. Um, I thought he looked fine on defense, and like you yeah. said, he had a few explosive plays, but he did get blocked by Whiteside, I think, like twice. Um, I mean, he's not twenty-seven-year-old LeBron, clearly. I don't know, I just am super concerned. I don't know, I still... I, I think it was going seven. I think it's going seven. And... You were so... You were way higher on uh, Portland than I was, and, like, everything you needed to see to back up what you were thinking happened today, so... I know, I... I 
I'm taking a fake victory lap because I didn't actually pick Portland, but I was giving them way more credit than most people. I just can't imagine. I mean, the thing is about the Portland having no one to guard LeBron, like, he's not really in, like, um, take over the game mode, like, 2018 Cavs style. Like, he hasn't really scored, like, 40-plus. I don't even know if he scored 40-plus this season, maybe, like, twice or once. And his jumper is not really working, and he can't make free throws, especially late. It's like, how much does that really kill you to just put a smaller guy on him and, like, watch him pass? I mean, if he wanted to go in the post and, like, straight up play bully ball, I think that he maybe could get to, like, 35 a night. It's just, I don't think that's the way he really wants to play. Although, I think he wants to play that way if the alternative is losing. Man, it takes it just... a lot of possessions off on offense. Like, he might, he'll work the first action, but if there's nothing there right away, there's times where he'll swing it pretty early to, like, KCP or... I hate it when it's Danny Green, but sometimes you're in Danny Green and just kind of chill for the last eight seconds of the shot clock and just kind of decide he's just going to, like, I guess, take the rest of it off. So, like you said, he's not really in the let me score 40 points and will my team to victory mode. Maybe tonight will change that. And so I do agree with what you're saying about maybe you can survive with by putting, like, not the best defender on him because of that. But I also... Like I only like I said, I probably 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 total watched like half the game and I just even in that half game, like I feel like I saw a good bit of times where he just worked a defender and got to the basket for a layup. Like his jumper's not working, but those twenty three points, like I mean, those were I feel like a lot of them were right around the basket and just I don't know how like I think you could really hurt yourself by um not wanting by well, I mean, they don't have a choice, but just by not having too capable of a defender to put on him, I think that really might end up coming to bite, coming back to bite them soon. Yeah, I don't know. I just screw it. How about Portland and Portland and seven? Is is that on the record? It's on the record. Wow. Oh, so then who you might got? be able to change. I can change it again in two days. I mean, yeah, you can change it after every game. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of that, I guess real quick we can touch on uh, the Denver and Utah series. I think I officially picked Denver, and the Mike Conley thing had a lot to do with that. Ian, but despite their win, like I kind of feel worse about that pick. Like I don't. Just, I tweeted out the big thread of just uh, Utah torching their pick and roll defense, yeah. and and like. They got saved by uh, Jamal Murray just, like, matching Donovan Mitchell at the end of the game. I think it was, like, at, at like, the three-minute or whatever point it was, like, in, like, clutch minutes through the overtime, like, Jamal Murray outscored the Nuggets or outscored uh, the Jazz 18-16. to 16. And, I mean, he just couldn't miss. And, like, is that – if I'm Denver, like, how confident should I feel going forward when really we won because of – and. At the time, I didn't realize how crucial the eight-second violation Donovan Mitchell got was, but they had a chance to put the game away, and they they messed that up. And then, luckily, uh, Jamal Murray just catches absolute fire, making, like, crazy spinning step-backs. And, I mean, I don't know. I just think Utah should have won that game, and they outplayed them. And I don't see Denver making the necessary adjustments that um, they need to make. Yeah, that was a completely wild game. I think we both picked the Nuggets in seven uh, on our pod the other day. And then I saw the Conley news, and I sort of switched to Denver in five, which I definitely regret. 
um, and Conley, I thought he is going to miss either two or three games. I think I think he is out for sure for game two, uh, and he's just maybe going to be back for game three. But I also didn't know that uh, was it Will Barton that they just said today is like going to be out like indefinitely, like he's having more knee soreness and he's not going to play. I kind of thought he was going to be back. Yeah, I thought he was closer to playing, and Harris was the one who was more in question. But I saw neither one of them dressed out for the last game, so I, I didn't see that news you were talking about. This so I don't know if that's uh, something new or. That's how it's been, but yeah, that's yeah, concerning I'm too. Sure, that is true. We can have a research team check that quick. But the the counter to you saying the eight second violation, which was massive. Like, how do you, like, Mitchell had an incredible game, but like, how do you how do you do that? Honestly? Was there like a like issue getting the ball in bounds? Like, did like because I thought I heard someone say something about how like uh, they did something like after they threw it in or something. I don't know, but. I just don't remember catching that if there was, but it seems weird that he wouldn't be able to just walk it up in eight seconds. Which, yeah, you might you might be right on that. Um, yeah, that was just crucial. They were up four with the ball with like ninety seconds left, and then all of a sudden it was a one point game because Murray was still on fire. But anyway, the counter I would say is that Mitchell scored fifty seven points, which is not going to happen again. He made six threes. And he only used like a 34% three-point shooter. Granted, the defense looked extremely porous, as you uh, so astutely pointed out on Twitter. So, yeah, I definitely feel worse about it. And I do like the Jazz like quite a bit in general, and especially if Connie's back in game three. So I would be definitely feeling like I stole that game if I was Denver. I mean, they did lead, I think, through like the first half, but, but they were down late, um, and then Murray just went scorched earth. And, like, I think he made, like... I think he had like 13 points or no 18 points in the end of fourth quarter in overtime but yeah i i think it's going to be a high scoring series i think denver is good enough to score even uh, with gobert holding down the paint and yeah denver's defense i mean do they got to go to more to jeremy grant and uh sorry craig i mean Court, craig played uh a little bit with foul trouble so maybe that's why he didn't wasn't out there quite as much but I mean, would you pivot to, like, would you leave Michael Porter Jr. out? Because that is kind of, like, the question for them to figure out before game two. Yeah, I mean, they don't really have too many options, do they? Because, I mean, I, Jim, I think Jeremy Grant started at three. They did the tall lineup, right? It was Murray, Porter Jr., Grant, Millsap, Jokic. Oh, I think Craig actually started, but Grant played, like, 39 minutes. So, yeah. Same thing. Yeah, so then Monte Morris, Monte Morris had a significant role off the bench, but... I mean, other than that, I, is there any other option? So you're basically looking at, like, uh, going super tall or going with uh, Morris? Yeah, I mean, P.J. Dozier, I don't know how much you've seen of him. He's actually kind of impressed me in the bubble. Um, I don't know, he seemed like he can hold up on defense, and I, don't know, I think he made his one one of one of his shots. Uh, he made a three-pointer, like, pretty late, and I think, he, I think he was shooting pretty well in the bubble before this, but... I mean, I don't think if you're turning to like PJ Dozier as your saving grace in game two, you probably have a few concerns coming up. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I, I think it's going to be a great series. I mean, I thought it was going to be a good series initially. And, and yeah, so do you think the Jazz, well, probably because they lost, you know, probably don't feel great about them actually being able to turn the tables. But if you think what they did is more repeatable, maybe you like them in the series now. Yeah, and I think, 
the sub coaches can be pretty stubborn about making the necessary playoff adjustments as is. Like a lot of times it has like their ways has to fail before they do it. And I can really just see Denver being like two games late to making like real adjustments. And then maybe Mike Conley comes back who was playing like the best ball he's played this season. And I mean, maybe that's enough for the jazz to pull it off in six or seven. I mean, I think it's, it really sucks. It really hurts their chances too that they didn't grab this one because, like you said, in Denver. If I'm Denver, I'm feeling like I stole one, right. but I don't think Denver feels like that. So I mean, it's I kind mean, of a go ahead. I was gonna say they just keep playing that pick and roll coverage. Like I just, why don't you try and force the ball out of Mitchell's hands or something like that? Like they're starting like people who who is it? they started was it, is it Rajon Tucker? Is that his name? No, or, that's that's they, the other, uh, that's one of the other yeah, guys on the. They started. Bench. They started Morgan. Who Morgan? Okay. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to say that I barely knew who he was. I think he's played 130 minutes the entire season and he had zero starts. Well, yeah, him and Tucker. Like I just never really heard of before. I knew that uh, the only guy they drafted at a, I think it was like Yale or, I think yeah, it was Yale. I knew they picked him with like one of the last picks of the draft. But the other two guys, like, I'd never heard of them, and. I mean Mitchell and Ingles, like yeah, they you got two ball handlers out there, but I just understand why don't be why they don't be a little more aggressive with their pick and roll coverage, trying to get the ball out of their hands, maybe make Royce O'Neal have to handle the ball or shoot more threes or something. But it's just like you're giving Mitchell and Ingles the opportunity to just carve up the defense, and with Jokic so far back, he's never going to be able to contest um, Gobert if he catches it on the move. Like Gobert's just going to sky over him. Mitchell is super explosive. And you're going to, like, do uh, Mitchell and Ingles' chances to walk into threes. I mean, I just think if they keep playing defense like that, I'd bet on the Jazz to at least win the next game or two if they're going to play like that. And just in general, I like Snyder to make any other adjustments that he sees fit more than uh, Michael Malone. So I would – I think I can see, like, Utah maybe even pulling off the next one or two games. Um and then getting Conley back. Yeah, that, that might sound crazy. I don't know, though. I mean, I think they're definitely going to win the coaching battle. And I think that's looking like it's going to play a pretty significant role in this series. Yeah, so Denver, or Utah had two technical fouls, which was two free points. The Nuggets made 22 threes. They shot 54%, which obviously cannot, cannot last. Um, I already said, obviously, the flip side is Mitchell going off, but... Yeah, without reinforcements on the way with Harris and Barton, I mean, they really need Porter to be, like, kind of what he was during the bubble, like, averaging, like, 22 points a game or whatever. I don't know. I, I would certainly be worried. And for Denver, it's... I don't know. The series would be pretty interesting for their, like, long-term future because last year they beat the Spurs, who were a very shaky playoff team, in Game 7, and they won by, like, four points. That was, like, not exactly a dominating performance. And then they lost to Portland when they had home court. And and they were two-seed last year, and now they're the three-seed. So, like, they have these great regular seasons, but, like, if they if they lost to the Jazz, I mean, they won Game 1, so maybe this is going, going too, too uh, far astray. But, like, if they lost to the Jazz without, like, their second or third best player... That would be pretty ugly for them, and maybe they'd have to actually um, make, I don't know, make some changes. I don't know what you do. You still want to keep Jokic and Murray, but how about the fact that they traded two contributors for a first-round pick and to basically save themselves money long-term uh, when they dumped 
Beasley and Wancho Kern and Gomez, how how much would they like to have them right now in the playoff series where they're playing like PJ Dozier or they're taxing their starters for like 40 minutes? Uh, they could really use a couple of depth pieces right about now, huh? Yeah, but who knows if Malone would even play him. <laughs> well, he would not. He'd be forced to, right? You would think. Um, yeah, I can't hate, him on, hate on him too much for the move, though, because, I mean, it seemed like during the regular season they had a super deep team and there actually wasn't definitely not minutes for both of them, but there was, they, I mean, it seemed, didn't seem like the two were that necessary. Uh, a little reductive, but. Yeah, but if you're a three seed and, like, <laughs> You're you're cost cutting instead of like maximizing like your chances to win. Um, I mean, you can say they didn't expect two injuries, but like, what team has zero injuries going into the playoffs? Like, not that many. I feel like, especially if you extend to their like rotation of eight or nine guys. I mean, certainly they probably were going to lose those guys or at least one of them for nothing in free agency. But even that, they actually could have just matched any offer sheet and like traded them next trade deadline. So I don't know. I think that that was a misstep by them and maybe it was driven by ownership, but it it won't look great if depth is a big issue and and they gutted two players of like their best nine. Uh, Milwaukee. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we've also banged on Milwaukee for that. Yeah, I'm never gonna let that one die. <laughs> That's just inexcusable, I think. Um Yeah, do you have any more thoughts on this series or do you do you want to change your prediction, or how are you feeling? Well, actually, I think Nuggets and seven, which I wouldn't have kept after the Conley news, probably yeah, I would probably just keep that because I'm definitely concerned about their defense. I think Utah is very formidable opponent, and Conley is only maybe going to miss one more game. But having stolen game one, I still do believe in Jokic and Murray. I don't know, Murray I've always really liked a lot, and granted, he probably won't hit like seven shots in a row down the stretch again but I think he like he's kind of like non-existent for the most of that game besides like two really hot stretches I think I think they said on dunked on like he scored like 32 points in like only 14 of the minutes or something and kind of did nothing in the rest so I think if he's a little more consistent throughout uh I don't know I still think Denver is going to win but I, I can see it going either way yeah, I mean, I could definitely, I definitely, yeah, I think it'll be a seven gamer. I think nothing too definite in that voice of yours. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going back and forth um, because it's just I got to remind myself Denver did steal this one. They are up one zero. Um, Still have home music advantage. <laughs> true, they get the longer shoot around. Um, yeah, I mean. It's weird. It's because like I'm debating on Denver and six still, but it's also like maybe it's Utah and seven. Maybe one of the teams is going to win in six or seven. That's my final prediction. Um, That's bold. <laughs> yeah, watch Denver like sweep them or something. Um, while we were trashing Denver's front office, though, oh, what was the thought I had? I should write it down. Uh, what did they do? Oh, it's slipping. Well, they drafted around. Michael Porter Jr., which is looking pretty brilliant when uh, 13 teams passed on him. But yeah, it's I cannot remember what I was going to say and watch. I remember it right like after we get done. <laughs> they did something else that. Uh... Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> well, they traded traded Nurkic, who we were already talking about. Oh yeah, they. It's pretty recent. Whatever I was trying to think of, but yeah. Um, do you want to? 
Did you did you say you watched the Rockets Thunder? Yeah, I watched that entire game. So I actually was at I was coaching my team at that time, so the game I wanted to watch the most I missed the majority of. But from what I did see and from the my trusted people I follow on Rockets Twitter, it seemed like OKC just really could not create against um, Houston switching. And that's kind of – that was part of my theory behind why I just really couldn't get behind OKC making it close just because when you switch, like, who out there – I mean, Chris Paul doesn't have a big to play with. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I saw you wearing that Rocket shirt. I forgot to ask you about that. Um, that was for you. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, I'm wearing my sheesh shirt again just because – that's how I feel after those games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I just, I mean, SGA, like, yeah, he's a good player, but he's not, I don't think he's going to be, able to, yeah, he's not going to kill you in an ISO. Like, I don't think Schroeder's going to kill you in an ISO. Gallo, I mean, I don't think he's going to either. Adams, I don't care if he posts up, like, on basically any rocket starter, like, I'm fine with him posting up. He's going to miss a good bit of easy ones, might get a few dunks, but. He's not going to kill you in any way, and I don't think he can hang on defense, which I don't I, I don't know how some of these things I said actually played out, but because I'm about to watch the game after we get off, I'm going to watch as much as I can until I pass out. Um, assuming League Pass is actually uploaded now, sometimes they're weird about watching it on the same day. Yeah, I might have to wait till the morning. I guess technically it's the next day, though, so we'll see. But yeah, just the idea of like, I just don't see OKC being able to generate offense. Like, everything, any sort of action they run, they're just going to switch it. And, like, I just don't see any way anything ends in anything other than an ISO. And there's no one really who's going to give up buckets on the Houston side lineup out of that. And I saw someone tweet something. I think it was – I don't remember who it was, actually. But it was just about how maybe, like, OKC can get a little more creative, start working in some slips on their screens and things like that. I think Houston is kind of vulnerable to that at times because just when they're locked in, they're really locked in, but they have a tendency to not always be locked in. So, like, I think that's where you can get them. But, yeah, I just don't see OKC being able to generate the necessary offense. Yeah, I'm a little mad you said that because that's actually the first thing that I noticed was just that, like, the Thunder, they didn't really have a great plan on offense. And, yeah, they – would do their pick and roll, but then, I mean, the Rockets wouldn't even think for a half a second where they would just switch everything. And I, I think they have some advantage. Like, I think Chris Paul, like, he didn't have a great game. He couldn't make a shot in the first quarter, but a little bit in the third and fourth, he was picking up some steam. And I still think he can outsmart or get a half step on someone and either draw a foul or whatnot. So I, I still think he can make some hay in this series. But, but yeah, that's, like, exactly what I was thinking of that. They're just so switchable, and like posting up Adams is like not a winning proposition, and just because post ups are not very efficient, and I don't think he's like someone who can dime up shooters out of the post, and and the math the math game is strong. That something that you alluded to in your article, which I did read by the way, uh, the Rockets. I mean, you kind of highlighted like they shot fifty two more threes today. They get them up like crazy and i wasn't even really watching the box score too closely in this game but i did just pull it up uh, jeff green actually looked amazing and I, it just goes to it's like the 
common joke that every team talks themselves into Jeff Green for like a week or so, but I, I think he can actually play. In 2018, he he like saved parts of Game Seven uh, with LeBron. He like I think he made like four threes, and I don't know. He's if you ever thought he was going to be like a number one, two, or three scorer, you probably were kidding yourself. But for someone who can be a role player for 18 to 22 minutes or maybe more, maybe less, depending on the night. Like, he's perfectly capable of making an open three. He can move his feet a little bit on defense. Like, no, dude, he's I don't know. He's just so perfect for the Rockets. Like, yeah, for real. And, like, James Harden is the perfect guard to pair with them. One, they're, like, friends from their OKC days, but they have great chemistry. Like, when teams try and trap Harden um, just, like, around, like, half court, just because when he's, like, tearing defenses up, that's a strategy that teams have done a lot this year. Jeff Green and Jeff Green's like great at passing. I think we talked about this last spot, but I mean, he's like great at just like going quick to the other corner, hitting that guy, or taking one dribble and just dunking it on someone's head. Like people forget, like he's still like pretty athletic. Like he still gets up, and like I don't know if it's random that he's shooting a little bit. But he shoots is pretty open like uh, I mean maybe if we compare his open three-point stats to like his rocket stats you might see some similarities there or maybe he's just shooting a little hot I mean who knows maybe he could cool off but on defense like he's the perfect blend of uh, like being able to somewhat guard wings and somewhat guard bigs to exist on the Rockets defense uh, strategies and one thing I noted too when they first went small ball I don't think they quite they had Jeff Green yet because he was a 10-day like in uh, March or something they still lacked the big that could just stop the other team from getting easy, like just limit the bunnies. That I, like I referenced how the Rockets will give up a few bunnies like right at the rim. Um, some of them are off the rebounds, like you'll, they might box out, but just someone like Anthony Davis is just 6'11 and athletic and grabs a rebound, and there's kind of not much you can do about that. Or if like you play pretty solid pick and roll defense, but they just throw a lob to someone who can use a vertical threat, like with your wings on the without playing a true center, like you can't really stop that. Like, like Jeff Green is actually like the perfect has the perfect amount of size and athleticism to like just limit those two. So like I don't even think he has to be that great a defense. He just his presence alone just kind of limits other teams' layups just because he's like at least big man size and uh athletics. So I mean yeah, he's great as the Rocket perfect big man to pair in the system and play the Rockets. And he's been a uh, point green a lot lately, just uh, dribbling the ball up the court exploring his playmaking like Harden actually played a lot off ball from the little bit that I watched tonight yeah I was gonna say Harden didn't look like he even was dominating the game of course he finished with 37 and 11 but he only had three assists and I didn't think that that was because of a lot of bricks like he actually wasn't doing as much playmaking as normal I don't know if that was by design or something unique to the Thunder or if they wanted to explore uh point Jeff Green but but uh yeah, I mean, Green Green had 22, 6, and 4, and he was a plus 28 off the bench. And he played 32 minutes. I imagine he ended up taking most of Westbrook's minutes because, I mean, really they only play, like, Macklemore and Rivers off the bench for big minutes anyway. Uh, Gordon actually looked really good. I don't know if you saw when he was – he kind of had a stretch where he ran off, like, eight quick points maybe in the second quarter. So, yeah, I they – I mean, they had the, probably the most impressive win of uh, the opening round. I mean, if you don't count the Magic, who uh, had... Yeah. Did you see that? It was, like, the second biggest upset, maybe, in, like, the last 10 years for the playoffs. They were, like, 12-1 to 1 just to win this game. And, 
obviously they won by they won by like 15 but but no for like the contenders they probably had the best performance because um, I mean, maybe the Raptors, Raptors and them are tied, but obviously the Rockets are probably playing a better opponent. And I am kicking myself a little bit because the entire season, I mean, before the year, I thought the Thunder were going to finish like 13th or something. And I was like, man, they can't be that good. I got to understand. And I don't know. I just bought into everybody saying that they, I don't know, the Chris Paul three-point card lineups, they're smart. Um, they mock, they cause a lot of turnovers they dig it dig their heels in play solid defense and i mean i picked the rocket still but man after one game it's like i I like your pick of five a lot more than mine of uh, i don't even know if i said six or seven but i like yours better well the rock the thunder they have a lot of like the makings of things that work in the regular season like a lot of people who play hard some tough guys um some smart guys they ended up shooting great in the mid-range just like helps you close out games and stuff like and they were like insanely great in the mid-range so there's right. a lot of things that kind of go hand in hand with regular season success um but yeah i think from because i watched the beginning of the game and then like the last eight minutes and it hardened it seemed like he definitely made an effort to be more off ball like and I'm wondering, I don't know if it's like a coaching philosophy or if it's like, uh, I mean, him and Mike D'Antoni, like they all like collab, collaborate together and like they're always like working on things. So it's not, I, I would think anything they came up with, like they came to the agreement together, like they had the idea together. But I'm just like wondering if they're like, let's try and preserve Harden a little bit or if it's let's just try and get put, put our other guys in positions to succeed and see what they're capable of in a playoff setting. Or maybe just a mix of both, or maybe they just felt this was the best way for them to attack the Thunder. Now that I think about it, though, it might have been a, it might have honestly been an in-game adjustment because the first like six minutes, like I was watching on my phone, and the amount of people who fell down <laughs> in those first six minutes, like that was, it looked like a football game, um, and like it was just, like seeing it on the phone, I couldn't quite like understand like exactly like what was the reason for everything, but. I know, like, they had the guards, whoever's guarding Harden was picking him up, like, putting his, like, knee in, like, Harden's back, like, at, like, 94 feet. So he was, like, getting pressured the whole way. Like, he always, I think OKC's strategy was, like, they wanted to get all up in Harden's space and, like, try and impact him that way, like, just 94 feet up and down the court. So maybe that was an adjustment by Mike D'Antoni to just say, let's put him off ball and no one's like they're not going to put Gallagher Adams on Jeff Green to guard him full court so that was adjustment or that's maybe could have been an adjustment and just wanted to maybe get Eric Gordon going so that could have been it I'm surprised that Austin Rivers only played 18 minutes like I didn't catch any of his minutes so um I don't know and then I saw I'm pretty happy that James Harden only played 34 minutes uh I think yeah. he played it was like him, him light yeah I think him and like one other like player played 34 and that was like the most for the team so um yeah i mean pretty great night for the rockets yeah it did start out super ugly uh, as you were mentioning i think it was like nine to nine uh with like five and change left in the first quarter like it was just ugly uh one maybe consolation or something that thunder can hang their head on is like um SGA and Shooter are both just terrible in this game. I think they combined like 5 for 20 or something like that, which 
I mean, even Shooter, maybe he's just like not up to speed. He had some of the ugliest looking jumper I've, I've seen in the bubble, like like an air ball or like the bottom side of the rim. And I, I mean, obviously, I think that it can't get much worse, so they'll be better. But maybe it won't be as much better as maybe a Thunder fan is thinking because they don't have like as many advantages, like you said. And I think that, especially with three point guards, they can probably usually find someone who's a little too slow to guard one of them or. You know, you just create mismatches with with speed and ball handling on three guy with three different players on the court. But the Rockets, obviously, they're all small and they can all move their feet. And there's no lumbering big men to kind of target and draw out on you. So, I yeah, if I was, I'm definitely discouraged if I thought the Thunder had a chance to win. One other interesting thing I saw, like while I still watch on my phone in the beginning. Uh, CP3 and Harden kind of had like a gotcha moment with each other where they both just read each other's tendencies. It was like back to back to Harden was dribbling it up the court and like this kind of, he makes it kind of obvious sometimes when he's just gonna not be the primary ball handler for possession and it was like a semi transition and he kind of like lazily throws a bounce pass and like um, Chris Paul was guarding him like five feet off him and like I guess he saw it come and was like able to just like completely like back up and steal it from a really weird angle and then he's pushing it down on Harden and I like I, th- I guess Harden like um, I don't remember exactly how he did it but he kind of just read made it, made it looked like he knew exactly what CP3 was going to do and CP3 you know, like picking up his dribble at the three point line taking like two awkward steps and having to just like throw it behind to whoever was like trailing the transition I think it ended up being a turnover so it's kind of just like Seemed like both of them just knowing exactly what the other was going to do, like on get basically getting each other with it. Yes. Speaking of knowing exactly what a guy's going to do, uh, I hope you saw this other little quirk from the game, Chris Paul. You know how he always just literally stops and tries to get run over by a defender. He did that once, and he straight up like he's basically like barrel rolled into somebody's <laughs> legs, and the refs didn't call it. And like on the way down, he like panic had to throw the throw the ball to I think Stephen Adams or something. Um, 